everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Let everything that have breath qualifies you to praise the Lord. He woke you up this morning. He kept you in your right mind. He kept your home. He kept your family. You got food on your table. You got clothes on your back. It's all right to praise him. I know it's hot outside. I know it's humid outside. But when you think about what Jesus has done for you, nothing can stand in the way of your praise. Think about what he's brought you through. Nothing can stand in the way of your praise. I've been through some stuff and something about that moan. I didn't know why mama moaned. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for life this morning. Folks are leaving this earth. But he woke me up this morning. When you bury people, when folks start heading home, you start taking things for granted sometimes and God gotta wake you up sometimes. So while you got a chance, while you got a chance, you ought to bless him for what he's done for you. You, you shouldn't be ashamed of worship. Jesus. My God, my God, my God. There's a, there's a hymn that I used to sing when I was a kid. And I'm going to sing this because when Deacon was preaching, he don't even, was praying, he don't even know what he said. He said, um, Oh Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder I consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars and I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe display. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. I'll raise the heart. I'll raise the heart. Then sings. Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art, 
Hallelujah. God, we thank you. We, we thank you. We, we bless you because you are a great God. You're so great, God. Sometimes we can't even muster up the words for how good you really are to us. And so we cry out hallelujah because it's the highest thing we can do. Hallelujah to your name, Jesus. Hallelujah to your name, Jesus. We bless you this morning and we thank you for another opportunity to be in the house. Now it's preaching time, God, and there's a lot of stuff going on in life. But one thing is constant as your word stands, your will stands, your power stands. So stand in your daughter this morning as the broken vessel tries to break bread with you today. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this pastor. I thank you for this ministry. And I thank you for what will happen today. I'm decreasing as you increase right now. So use us today, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen, and thank God. Y'all bless the Lord this morning. It is so good to be back at Greater Little Zion Baptist Church with the baddest music ministry up in Fairfax. I was like, God, please let them sing. Please let them sing this morning. And it's so good to see all these faces and all these musicians and that baby playing the drums in the air. That's my man in the corner. He was feeling it, boy. I'm telling you. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord and your pastor's absence. I thank him for the invitation. It's rare you get to come back to churches. So thank you, Jesus, for a good church. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It ain't, it's not always like that. So I thank God for you and your hospitality. In the absence of my husband and my three-year-old air drummer at home, they on their way for the second service. Y'all know y'all wasn't going to see them this morning. Uh, I am delighted to be in the house. Um, you have to excuse me. I'm wearing a robe because I tore ligaments in my foot. And I wanted to shout, but I couldn't because my foot hurt. So I just sang through it. But I'm so grateful because there are some things that I believe the Lord is prepared to say today. And this is a tough word to work on because there's some things happening in this country and there's some things happening in the church that we're going to have to deal with today. So if you would stand with me all over the building, if you can, and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> I'm going to read from the New Revised Standard Version just a couple of verses starting at verse 14. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. If you have it, just say Amen. If you need a second, I hear them pages turning. In the interest of time, I'm going to start reading from 14 to 16. The text says, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, <clears throat> after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now stay standing because I'm going to read something a little bit different. There's a message Bible translation that I think you need to hear before you sit down. It's the same verses. Verse 14 says, here is another way to put it. You're here to be light bringing out the God colors into the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on the hill. If I make you light bearers, 
You don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand, church. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, you're supposed to shine. Keep on with an open house. Be generous with your lives. And when you open up to others, you will prompt other people to open up with God. That generous God who lives in heaven. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Just for about 29 minutes and 37 seconds. I want to preach from the subject, turn the lights back on. Turn the lights back on. February 3rd, 2013, the stage was set in New Orleans, Louisiana. It is the biggest stage on earth. It's called Super Bowl Sunday. And in 2013, the Baltimore Ravens just so happened to be playing the San Francisco 49ers. And religious sports fans and not-so-religious sports fans on Super Bowl Sunday all come together to watch this epic event. And on this day, the first half was amazing. The Ravens commanded the game as many believed they would, and they went into the locker room for halftime. And my girl Beyonce came out and graced the presence of the stage and had a little connection with Destiny's Child in the middle of the field. And then the second half began with kickoff as usual. I'm a crazy sports fan, and I love football. My favorite part is when you kick it off and then the players come out to line up at the line of scrimmage for the half to start. But while the world was watching, the unthinkable happened. This international broadcast was interrupted when suddenly on live TV, the lights went off. For 34 minutes, the Superdome was running on a backup generated power. There were no moving escalators. There were no concessions being sold. And fans were even stuck in the elevators. All things that were functional no longer worked because there was no electrical power. The world was watching and the lights went off. Officials ultimately revealed that sensing mechanisms found an abnormality in the power system that triggered an automatic shut down, and it forced them to work on backup power. Now, if you know anything about sports, you know there's something called a momentum shift. And you see, the Ravens were playing the perfect game. And in a momentum shift, that means one team is doing really well, and then all of a sudden, something happens. And that team who was doing so well, sometimes the momentum shifts to the other team and things start going well for them. And when the Ravens had this perfect game plan, they were winning by 22 points going into halftime. And then the lights went off. They got comfortable and thought that their work was done. And reporters after the game spoke to some players and they heard a resounding theme. They said, when the lights went off, all hell broke loose. The strategies and the plays that were effective in the first half meant nothing in the second half because while the world was watching, the lights went off. This sounds all too familiar, church, because quiet as it's kept, the church has been rocking like the Ravens were in the first half, following the game plans that worked in the first half of the game, but not equipped to follow the game plans to keep us alive in the second half of the game, operating on an eight-track mentality when we should be on iTunes and Pandora doing some real work in the community. Church, we've been on the sidelines in our boxed-in one-track minds and in our comfort zones and got a nerve to even be proud of ourselves 
ourselves thinking that we've done something when we haven't even scratched the surface of what God has intended his church to be. Greater little Zion, the world has been watching, but our light's been off. Satan's minions have sensing mechanisms, and they report an abnormality in the church's power source. They have witnessed up close and personal why our lights keep going off. Our churches are splitting. We got generational gaps. We got religious arrogance. We got irrelevant preaching. We got monotonous ministries. We got jealousy in leadership. We got competition amongst the saints. We got segregated Sundays. We're practicing religion instead of living in a right relationship with God. We live in double lives, holy in the church house, but a hot mess and hypocritical in our own house. The world was watching but the lights went off. Our adversaries have been scheming and revising their game plan for the second half. And the momentum is starting to shift. That same opposition has been forging full speed ahead against our churches and against our families and against our young people and against the poor and against the widows and against the sick. And one would even argue against our own race of people. But we've been so caught up in religiosity and traditions and the way we always did the things we used to do that we can't even see the momentum shifting. It's happening right before our eyes. Folk using their so-called Christianity for political gain. But when the poor need food and when the naked need clothing, their policies don't line up with their pious proclamations. It's happening right before our eyes. Efforts to repeal and replace a law that was enacted to take care of the health of all men and yet and still the same so-called Christians decide that health care should only be for some men. It's happening right before our eyes when there's hate rhetoric traveling all over the airways and even on Twitter uh -huh, and the audacity to tell an entire religion of people that they can't even come to this country. And the evidence of the spiritual fruit is not even visible in these same leaders that say they know God. It's happening right before your eyes when there are body cams that are capturing the same senseless killing after killing after killing and those same lives are devalued when there's an acquittal after an acquittal after a non-guilty verdict. It's happening right before our eyes. And the tragedy of all of this stuff is that while the game is changing, the church is still on the sidelines. We've been caught with our slip hanging. We've been muzzled. I said it, muzzled. The church is suffering from a nasty case of pulpit paralysis. Men and women opting to say nothing. The world is watching, but the lights went off. And in the text, Matthew 5, we find Jesus teaching and giving good context for good Christian living. And by the time we get to this part of the text, he had already been baptized. He had been tempted by the devil. He had already chosen his disciples and he found himself being followed by the paparazzi everywhere he went. And at this point, he decided he needed to go up into a mountain and began to teach his disciples the necessary game plan known as the Beatitudes. But when we arrive in verses 13 to 16, I want you to see this in the text, 
Jesus' narrative shifts from how you are to who you are. This proclamation of Jesus is so relevant even in the 2017 church. Because in society today, the church has fallen short and missed the mark to operate as an effective change agent while representing who Jesus is in the world because we've misunderstood and we've misrepresented the power that we have in Jesus. In the text, we learn, though, that the church has to secure her rightful place as a relevant institution and decide today to reflect light and love of Jesus to all men on this earth. And when we fulfill our prophetic purpose as disciples of Christ, there will be an advancement in the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, the world has been watching us, but the lights have been off. And for the sake of the lost today, I want to ask us a really hard question. What must the church do to turn their lights back on and operate in our God-ordained destiny and win souls to Christ. Well, in order to turn the lights back on, the church must first recall who you are in Jesus. See verse 14, it's in the text. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus here is speaking in the affirmative to his disciples and offers them a definitive description of their very existence. When Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he's reminding them of their presence mattering in the world. You see, you represent to the world what he represents to the church. You are the light to the lost. You are the hope to the hopeless. But I have to be honest, I, I found this really hard in the text. It made no sense to me for Jesus right in the middle of the Beatitudes to stop what he was saying, to have to remind these same disciples who were with him of who they were while they walked with him. Why would he have to tell them who they were in him when he chose them to walk with him? I mean, I would suggest that the Lord in his infinite wisdom uttered these words, you are the light of the world, because he was needing to prepare his disciples and quite frankly, the church in 2017, that there are going to be some dark hours in your life. And somebody needed to be reminded about two undisputable words in the text. You are. Don't miss this church. I believe that we've come to a point where the church needs to be reminded of who they are in Jesus. In recent times, churches have faced living through a recession and dealing with declining memberships and questions of their relevance in the world and millennials missing from ministry. And if that's not your story, there's churches that have dealt with scandal, that have dealt with sickness, that have been publicly dismayed. And if that's not you, you just wait. Here's what I know, that living for Christ and serving in ministry at times can be so discouraging that you can get to a place when you no longer have the passion for the vision that God gave you. And you are so overwhelmed with your circumstance that you don't see any evidence of light on your journey. 
Some of you right now are literally trying to save your marriage, trying to save your children, living from check to check, got drama on your jobs, quietly suffering in depression, struggling to find yourself every single day. And if I'm talking to you right now, I want to let you know that now is the time to recall who you are in Jesus. Do you know who you are? Do you know your name? You're a child of the king. You are a child of the prince of peace. You are an heir apparent to the throne. Do you know who you are? I was in first grade. I was a feisty something at six. I'm a feisty something now. It's bad, isn't it? And my mama told me something all the time. My name is Siobhan Arline. And as a kid, people would mess up my name all the time. And she said this to me. She said, honey, don't answer to anything other than your name. Don't answer to anything other than who you are. So I took that to heart. I had a little feisty on top of it too. So one day in assembly, my teacher called the names of the role and she went down the list. And then she got to my name and said, Sharon Arlene. And I was looking. Just trying to find Sharon. And by the time she got to the end of the role, she said, children, if I haven't called your name, please raise your hand. So I raised my hand. She said, oh, come, what's your name? What's your name, honey? I said, Siobhan Louise Arline. And she looked at the role and she said, I called your name. I said, no, you didn't. My mama told me, if you don't call me who I am, I don't have to answer to it. I don't know who I'm preaching to right now. I'm telling you this story because what I know about the church is we've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten our name. And what I find is that if you don't know who you are, then it is easy for someone or something or some trial or some drama to define you for you. So let's practice. Do you know who you are? My name is Siobhan Louise Arline Bradley. I am the daughter of Luther and Louise Arline. I'm the wife of Andrew, mama's, mama of Micah Bradley, and I am a child of God. I am black. I am beautiful. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know who I am and whose I am. Now let's practice. Greater Little Zion, do you know who you are? A body of believers practicing to live a life pleasing to God. Yes, all things are working together for your good. Yes, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You are fearfully and and you're wonderfully made. You are an effective ministry. You are an expanding ministry. You are thriving. You are growing. You are worshiping. You are praising. Nobody has seen what God has in store for you. Do you know who you are? Church, I, I got to acknowledge this though. That even in times that you know who you are, sometimes life gets in front of your living. It's deep, it's deep, it's deep. Sometimes life gets in front of your living. All those challenges, all those distractions, they suck the life out of you and suck the light out of you. And you begin to forget who the heck you are. Well, I stopped by to tell you something. When you're feeling the weight 
of the world on your shoulders, you've got to start recalling that there is something different about you. There's something different about your ministry. There's something different about the gifts that God gave uniquely you. And when you stop to think about who he is, then you ought to get excited about who you are in him. So friends, yeah, there's going to be persecution, but remember two words, you are. There are going to be trials, but rest assured that you are. And there will be skeptics that tell you you're not relevant, but don't forget, you are. And there'll be financial setbacks and drama in your life, but you are. Now, go back to the text with me. Come back to verse 14. The phrase in 14a continues this way, because you can't miss this. It's, it's big. It says, you are the light of the world. Now, the Greek translation of light of the world is phos cosmos. And that means akin to feo, meaning to give light as seen by the eye. But listen to this. There's a metaphorical definition that says light as seen by the eye, listen, and reaching your mind. That messed me up. Because to understand that you are the light of the world, it means you got to change your mind. You've got to change your way of thinking. You've got to change your lifestyle. In other words, you are the light of the world means that what you radiate is actually mind-blowing. What you give off is mind-altering. And when you can change your mind, you can change your outlook on your situation. If you don't recall who you are in the Savior, you might miss the mark for your dreams, for your family, for your future, for your plans. Church, it's time to activate your metaphoric fail right now. Change the way you view and recall who you are in Jesus. Is there anybody in the house that knows that it's really recollection time? It's time to start recalling what God has done for you. Recall his hand at work in your homes. Recall his hands at work in your ministry. Recall his hand at work in your job. Recall his hand at work when the doctor said no, but God said yes. Recall his hand at work when you got bills paid with no money in your pocket. Recall his hand at work. I stopped by to release you today in the name of Jesus of spiritual amnesia because you still forgetting who you are. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's just good to be reminded that if you want your lights to turn back on, you got to recall who you are in Jesus. I got to move on. Not only must you recall who you are in Jesus, but in order to turn the lights back on and operate in your God-ordained destiny and win souls to Christ, you've got to reconnect to the source. You've got to reconnect to the source. Look at verse 15. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. Now, one of my favorite Sunday school songs, you know it as a kid, this little light of mine. I used to just wait every Sunday for that song because there was that one part of the song where they said, hide it under a bushel. And we would holler, no, I'm going to let it shine. And here's the thing. I looked into that verse a little bit deeper and I realized something that a Sunday school song don't do nothing for this word. There's going to be preachers right now that'll preach this verse to you, and they'll tell you that there can be darkness in the presence of light. There can be no darkness in the presence of light, and that's actually true. There can be no darkness in the presence of light. But I need to help you with some Holy Ghost word this morning. You're right. 
There can be no darkness in the presence of light, but there can be no light without a connection to a source. Okay, okay. Darkness can't live in light. But you can't even have a light if you're not connected to a power source. Your ability to be the light of the world is based on an uninterrupted connection to the equipped source for you to have light. And if your connection is not strong or blocked by something, by someone, by some trial, by some things, then there's some dark living waiting for you right around the corner. The church is in position where we must now assess our power sources, our signal strength. And saints, we're not operating on full power. Matter of fact, we're running on backup systems right now. Because there is actually a disconnect in the church. We're so caught up in doing the business of church that we have lost the sight of the very reason why we exist. There's a real disconnect when there's more board meetings than prayer meetings. There's a real disconnect when there's more catty chatter than conversations with Christ. There's a real disconnect when there's more votes on insignificant things instead of voices lifting praise and worship in the house. We're so deep in the weeds and operating as a church that we have forgotten the basics of living as the church. That's all right. You ain't got to like it. I'm telling you it's real. It's real. It's, really, it's, it's in the text. And to our detriment, we've considered these futile things as our source of strength. Because you got a voting base, because you got a good deacon board, because you got good singers. You think that that's your source. No, no, no. Some of you are missing it. I, all right, I'm going to help you. I was in the Sprint store the other day, and I saw a woman. I'm going to call her Keisha because she, like she looked like Keisha to me. Keisha. And she was yapping. This place is so incompetent. I've been working to try to make this phone work, and it does not. I mean, her neck was giving it. I mean, she was giving it. I mean, the neck. And she went off because her phone wasn't working. And I was so intrigued because the real story of this whole thing was watching the man behind the desk look at her. He just didn't move. He... And she was, and I'm going to tell you what, get your manager, get somebody because y'all are in, and he just went, uh -huh. mm -hmm. and so once she finally stopped talking and calmed down, the man behind the desk said, ma'am, I, I think I know your problem. Well, you better tell me my problem because I paid my bills on time. I don't under, and he just stepped back and went, mm-hmm. And as soon as she stopped, he said, ma'am, the problem is you never plugged it in. Her phone had all the bells, all the whistles. It was a glamorous cover on the phone. But without the power source, it had no function. It couldn't even operate. That's a good place right here to stop. We forgot the basics, church. We are no longer plugged into the source because we are complaining that things aren't working and we can't get people to serve, but we're not even plugged in ourselves. We're whining instead of worshiping. We're persecuting people instead of praying for people. Operating on foolishness instead of faith. You're not plugged in. 
You got to be careful, church. Listen here. When there's no power source, there's no presence. And when, when there's no presence, then you get perpetrated praise and prankster pulpit people. I'm going to start from the beginning. Y'all acting like it's 8 o'clock. When there's no power source, when you're not connected, then there can be no presence. And when there's no presence, all this stuff is fake. You're giving people a show. Inauthentic encounters with God. You falling out for no reason. That's what I said. And here it is, church. If we're going to establish an uninterrupted connection with the main source of power, then you've got to put yourself in position to get it. What you mean, preacher? Well, there's a universal sign that I want you to think about. When a teacher acknowledges you in the class, what you do? Mm-hmm. Ladies, when you want the bride to throw you the bouquet. <laughs> Some of you. When God makes a way out of no way. When you receive a blessing that you know you don't deserve. <laughs> when you want real connection, you just... Lift your hands up. Lift your hands in humble submission. You lift your hands in praising. You lift your hands in worship. And listen, you lift your hands in anticipation. I'm ready, God. My hands are lifted high. Get back to the basics, church. Stay in the word. Stay connected. Stand strong by his feet. The connection will be strong if you don't stop praying, if you don't stop praising, if you don't stop serving, if you don't stop giving, if you want the lights back on. You got to reconnect to the source. Sit down. I got last one, last one, last one. Not only must you recall who you are in Jesus and reconnect to the source, and not only must you think about your anticipated connection with Christ in position to receive what he has, but finally, in order to turn the lights back on to operate in a God-ordained destiny and win souls to Christ, you must radiate God's presence to those around you. It's in the text. Come to verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the, your father, not their father. You see it? You see it? Don't miss it. To your daddy. The one you are related to in heaven. Newsflash, hot off the press. The church, as an institution, we've done a poor job of representing God in the world. We got empty pews, disgruntled ex-church people, losing our loved ones, losing people who are broken, doing service projects for our own kids. It's all right, you don't have to, it's okay. It's right. It's right. We're serving ourselves instead of serving those outside of our walls. And I feel like I need to show you this. I went somewhere and I thought about this. If the world was watching me and I stayed down here, they can't see me. 
All I'm doing is a whole bunch of talking. But can't nobody see me. This is what you look like to the world, church. But we are relevant. But we do have pro- Shut up. Nobody can see you. And if I chose to preach my sermon all the way down here, you'd be emailing Pastor Murphy right now. Don't bring her back because she's doing all that talking and can't nobody see me. We are the church. We are relevant, but you won't get on social media. We are the church. We are relevant, but you don't send out announcements to the community around you because you don't want some of that community to come into your building. We are the church. We are relevant. You are, but you don't bring up political conversations in your church. But we are relevant. You don't want to deal with HIV aging through the congregation churches in America. Now, let's be honest. You're doing a lot of talking, church. Can't nobody see you. And I caution this. Don't call the world lost if you aren't willing to do the work to find them. We can't tell the world there's something wrong with them if the folk in the church that have a connection to the source won't radiate the light of the source to the people. Tell the world of his marvelous works and show the people that God matters to you. Create an environment that the community wants to come to. Be a co-worker that's living a life pleasing to God. There's got to be something different about you. Radiating his presence means you are ready to be the Jesus that your church and your community may have never even seen. So practically, let's have a conversation. If you're not happy, don't be a greeter. Amen. You ever see the greeter? If you don't like people, don't be an usher. Let's be practical. If you don't like young people, don't teach kitty Sunday school there. This little light of mine. Let's be practical. We so hyper-spiritual and don't even think about the practicality of practicing the word of God. If you're serious about ministry, if you're going to be serious about saving souls. Stop putting people that don't belong in positions that they're in because you are blocking folks from coming in when people are not in place where they're supposed to be. I'm going to close with this. I, it hit me this week. You know what? The church has a marketing problem. we got a marketing problem. Our sales reps in our churches, they decide they only want to do business with certain people. There are no welcome signs. There are no welcoming faces. If someone was to walk into this room, how would we respond if it was someone that we normally wouldn't fool with? And because we got a marketing problem, the world can't respond to us because of the presentation that we're giving them. They don't want nothing to do with the body of Christ because we're so fickle and fake and phony and highfalutin, and we don't want to connect with nobody. How can you do effective ministry? I'm not saying everybody has to be an evangelist. That's not everybody's call. Everybody's call is not the jail ministry, the homeless ministry. That's not your call. But you can support them. You can get out the way so the real people can do it. 
The text is clear. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This verse should be on every mantle, on every syllabus of every MBA program in this country. If you ever got an MBA, do you know that there are four P's in marketing? There's product, placement, promotion, and price. There's product, placement, promotion, and price. Once you recall who you are in Jesus and once you decide to reconnect to the source, the only way to radiate God's presence is through the four P's. You got to know your product. You got to know where to place it. You got to know how to promote it. And you got to know the price. The placement, the product, the product, the placement. The reason that product is first is because you got to have something to give to the people. You can't place what you don't have. And there's a lot of churches that can't place nothing because they really don't have access to the product. They got access to perpetration. So the product that you're selling right now is called salvation. It's the product that was made by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and by blood stains on a cross. That's the product you're selling. And the placement of your product should be top shelf. Some of y'all will get it. Top shelf placement means people will see the product. So if they connect to what they see, they're going to want to see and connect more to what you place. If you ain't talking about Jesus, nobody's going to see Jesus. If you're not placing it out in front of the community, no one will know how to connect to it. So you got to have placement. And then there's promotion. That's praise and worship. That's your promotion. Promotion. Promotion is praise and worship. When people see the product that is placed and you begin to promote it, you start talking about how great it is and how awesome it is. When they say how great is our God, that's promotion. That's putting it out there for the people to see. But then there's the price. The price of a product is the most important P of all four of those P's. Because people don't connect to a product because they think it's going to cost them too much. Well, I've stopped by to tell you that the price of salvation, the last time I looked, that price was free. <laughs> because when God got on that cross, he laid his head down. He opened wide and he stretched him wide and he bled and he died and he made it free for you and me. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I stopped tired to tell you that the price is right. <laughs> the price is is right. He made it free for you and me. He conquered the grave and now you're set free. There's a song that says Jesus, he paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain but he washed it right as snow. Goodbye, great little Zion because God is going to bless you real good. But if you don't hear anything else I say, you need to hear this. If you don't let your light shine, there's going to be some hell to pay. Some folks won't won't even make it into heaven. Somebody's going to be blocked from their blessing. So stand tall. The entire world is watching, but your lights have been off. So today I decree and I declare that there's no more dark living. There's no more dark worship. There's no more dark ministries. And for God's sakes, greater little Zion, turn your lights back on. <laughs>